0: The message is entitled, God's Salvation Plan. You know, in chapter 3 of John, it's a key chapter in the Gospel of John. And um, Jesus is talking and teaching Nicodemus about the need of being born again. But um, he's having a difficult time understanding how it is possible. And sometimes when, um, if you're a Christian and you try to share with people, it's very hard for them to understand it um, because they're looking at things in the natural realm. And sometimes we can't, if we walk with God for a long time and we communicate this to people, sometimes we take it personal, we get offended, and we forget that they are spiritually blind, dead in trespass and sins. And even though Nicodemus was a Jew and he was the top teacher among Jews there, he still didn't understand spiritual truth. And uh, Jesus was amazed. He says, you being the teacher, you don't understand these things? And so, as Christians, we have to understand that it's only by God's Spirit that we're allowed to understand the things of God. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so intellectual. It's not because we've studied so much but because our heart is open to God and then His Holy Spirit turns on the light by His Word. If you're a non-believer, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I don't know where you stand. I don't know if you're religious. I don't know if you're just an atheist or you call yourself an agnostic. But whatever it is, whatever category you fall under, if you're not born again, then the Bible is very clear that you are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, physically you're alive, you're moving around, you can speak and express yourself, you communicate with your friends. On that level, there's no problem. But on the spiritual level, the vertical axis, up and down, um, there's no real understanding about the things of God or even God. Now, people are raised religiously, And they have some concept about religion and some understanding about what they believe or who they believe God is. But it doesn't mean that what they say and what they declare is true. For something to be true, it has to be verified by objective truth from the source that is credible. So in other words, if you and I don't know the Lord, and if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sins then you have a concept about God that has been given to you by either the media, your education, or religious background. But the verification of that truth is when you compare it to the Bible. Reagan used to say, um, accept and verify. (laughs) You take it at face value, and then you have to test what is given to you to see if it's truly true, if it's objective truth. And so the only thing that we have available to us about God and the things of God and man and his fallen state is God's revelation in the Bible. Apart from the Bible, you have philosophies, you have religions, you have ideologies, other things that really don't deal with the aspect of man's problem with God because he's the epitome of holiness and sin separates man from God. Man always makes man kind of an extension of God and that he can write his own bill, write his own understanding about God. And therefore, as he propagates it, then if he can convince others of that, then they establish their own little group, their own little religious uh, um, community or whatever it may be. But once again, the challenge of every group or every person is to compare it to God's revelation of himself. And as Jesus is dealing with Nicodemus, he distinguishes the uh, spiritual birth, the new birth, first with the natural birth. And uh, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old and go back to his mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. Then he gives them a, an illustration of the wind. You, you hear it, you see its effects, but you don't see where it's coming from. But if you see the effects of that wind upon that tree, then you know the direction is coming because of the way the leaves are blowing or whatever is being affected. And he gives that clear illustration that God begins to work in a person's life and it starts changing that person. From the inside out. Though you can see the effects of God on that person um, physically in terms of the, being the source. You can't see the effects upon the person's life. They live differently. They think differently. They believe differently. And he made that very clear that was a work of God. And then Jesus pointed to the prophetic fulfillment of his very death. The serpent of Moses, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you and I, as believers, could have never or would have never picked that out of the Old Testament and said, This is prophecy about Jesus' crucifixion. But Jesus did, and he could because he's God, and he knew all the scriptures. The New Testament writers did this often because they were anointed and carried by the Spirit of God under inspiration to do that. And so that's why the Bible is the standard of everything that you believe and I believe, we must compare it to the Word of God. And it will tell you whether what you believe is biblical, objective truth, or if it's false. So it's not a matter of your interpretation or mine. It's a matter of our comparison to the scriptures to see if we measure up to the scriptures. Now, after he's through talking with Nicodemus at this point, then Jesus gave to Nicodemus the proclamation of the gospel in a nutshell. Now, if you're a Christian, you know this verse. Everybody knows this verse. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right there in that verse, he gives to Nicodemus the gospel in a nutshell. First, he gives God's passion for the salvation of the world. Listen to the words. For God so loved the world. That's his passion. Love. The word is agape, divine love. He's not talking about physical love. He's not talking about sexual love. He's not talking about emotional love. He's talking about God's pure love. Love that gives, doesn't expect anything in return. God that looks looks after others and the benefit of others and the good of others, not taking self into consideration. Now, I'm sure that you've heard often that people say, well, God saved us through his love. That's absolutely unbiblical. God couldn't save us through his love if he wanted to. Love can't save you. If you're a parent and you have a child and they go wayward, you love them. You hurt for them. And you want to do everything for them, but your love cannot save them from their own peril. They have to get to a place where they see that they're lost. So love can't save you. There has to be a, 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 a capability or a preparation that's going to be able to make that possible. So God loves mankind and loves the world and loves to see the world saved, but at the same time, it is His motive for what's going to follow. But he saved us by the death of his son, as we'll see, not by his love. His love is his motivation. It's what prompted him to make the plan of salvation because he loves them. When you love somebody, you try to do what you can for them, all that you can, as often as you can. You can't wait. And when, and when they say, oh, well, you are not know, really appreciate it. Oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, to you it's nothing because you have a love and a passion for them and you want to do something for them. Now, when that passion runs out and they ask you to do something, well, you know, I'm busy tomorrow. Our love runs out, right? Because often we're looking to see what we can get from that love. God's love isn't looking for anything. God's love is only there to give what is necessary. When someone's lost, they're headed for hell. They're dead in trespasses and sins, and if you're here tonight, you're over the internet, if you don't know Jesus Christ, God wants you to understand your position before him. He's holy, you've got sin nature, you've got sin that stands between you and God. Now, he loves you, but he cannot bestow his love and the benefit of his love until the relationship is right. Any more than a father or mother who would be at odds with their child for whatever reason. They wouldn't bless a disobedient son or daughter, otherwise, they would be a facilitator of the evil conduct. If you love somebody, you chasten them, you correct them, you bring consequences. You don't bless bad conduct, you don't approve of it to let them think you're, you're, their, you're their best friend. <laughs> It's really evidence that you don't love them at all. Because love looks to protect them, to help them. And so God so loved the world. He created it. He created everything around us. He created you. He created me. Now, many people believe in evolution. Some of you are in high school and universities, and they propagate the same lie year after year, even though they know it's a lie. But see, the only other option is to believe in God, and that's not an open option for them. They are so against God that they rather keep proclaiming a lie, which they know is a lie. It doesn't make any sense, evolution. The most simple definition of science is that it's observable, And it can be duplicated in a laboratory. Evolution, no one's ever seen. It cannot be duplicated in a lab. End of evolution. There's never micro or the macro. I've never seen a dog become a horse. Now there's species of dogs, species of horses, all you have to do is just a little examination, a little lab experiment with fruit flies. You can get many generations in a few days. All the generations that follow, if there are any mutations, they're inferior, never superior. Evolution says you're going upward. You do an experiment, it goes downward. So everything we can test against the false lies are confirmed to be lies, even from the natural realm. If you use your brain, but if you believe a lie and you keep repeating it, then you cease from becoming a critical thinker. You cease from examining what is truth and what is there. So the passion of God for salvation for the world is real. But again, he had to back that up with some actions. So you have God's action to secure salvation in the world. The next portion. He says that he gave his only begotten son. There's the key. God has a son. His name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Old Testament says, and what is the name of his son? How did they know he had a son? We didn't know until he told us in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, he says, what is his name? His son. He's all over Isaiah, all over the Psalms. He's the promised Messiah of Genesis 3.15. He's the promised child to a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. He's the one to be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. He's all over the place. So God backed up his passion by making provisions He gave His only begotten Son. Begotten means that God became man, the Incarnation. God can't die. So He took on flesh, 100% man, 100% God. And He came as the last Adam, a representative of mankind, just like the first Adam. The first Adam failed and introduced sin and death. The last Adam did not fail and introduced the conquest over death and life to those who believe. And so you either find yourself in the first Adam who blew it back in Genesis in the garden, or you find yourself born again in the last Adam, forgiven and justified because you repented of your sins. Now, God's love is real, but his love can't save you. But his love has made the provision to save you. He gave there's the definition of agape love. He gave his only begotten son. That when he died, he died in your place. That when he became sin, he became sin for the whole world. When God poured out his wrath upon him, it was an actual wrath, an actual separation, an actual death, an actual payment. And he acted as the federal head for the human race as much as the first Adam acted as a federal head when he introduced sin and death. And so now God has a basis by which He can offer you salvation. It's not a false salvation. It's not just because He feels nice about you. It's He has a basis by which He can forgive you for your sin because He poured out His wrath on His Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A few verses down, Psalm twenty two, he says, Because you are holy. God being holy, he cannot permit or look upon sin with condonance. So if he's going to accept me who is sinful to the core, he has to have a means by which to justify that violation of his holiness. And that is that he made his son sin for me who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 Now there's an actual payment. There's an actual person dying in my place. Therefore, if I accept that Jesus died in my place, I can call upon the Father to forgive me for my sins because I believe that He took my place and paid the payment for my sin. But He doesn't force me to believe that and He doesn't force me to accept that, but He offers it to me because He does not force Himself upon anybody. And so the action to secure the salvation in the world is through His only begotten Son. Your works won't save you. Your works can't make you worthy before God. You can, you can be the most moral person. You can be the most ethical person. You can be the most honest person. You can be the most giving person. That will not get you into heaven. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. The minute a baby's born into the world, you know what's born? A new rotten little sinner. The Bible says they go astray from the womb speaking lies, and you thought they were crying. You know why they're rotten little sinners? Because two rotten big sinners made them. They're the product of the father and mother. That's the problem with our kids. They're our kids. No woman has ever produced an innocent baby or a sinless baby. And as they grow, they mature in their sinfulness. They learn from you, parents. They learn from the world and everything around them. It comes natural. But now there's a provision. Provision. Because he loved, he gave. He didn't just talk about it, he gave. He backed it up with actions. Now we talk a lot about the son, but how about the father? Have you thought about it? If you're a father, you get a little glimpse. You know how much you love your son or your daughter. That you would give them for a bunch of rotten people? Because you love them? That's pretty heavy. The son did suffer. But the suffering of the Father was incredible. And yet he did it because he loved the world. But then what he does is he gives God's invitation for salvation to all the world. Listen. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, whosoever... He didn't say only those who have not ever taken drugs. Only those who have never gotten drunk. Only those who have not failed sexually. He says, whosoever. He doesn't say only black people, only white people, only brown people, only yellow people, only red people. You want to know your identity as a human being? male and female. That's the only biblical identity you have. Everything else is a lie and it divides you and it pits you. If you're brown, you're a brown sinner. If you're black, you're a black sinner. The common denominator is sinners. We miss the mark. So God puts a mirror before us to show us who we really are. And then he asks me, do you believe me or do you not? If I believe God, then he says, then I've got a solution for you. I've made a way for you to be forgiven and to be made new. But if I look at that mirror and say, no, 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 that's not me. Then I'm calling God a liar. Now, how many of you young ladies get up in the morning and Put your makeup on and everything else. And when you first get up and you look at the mirror and it shows you something's wrong, do do you call your mirror a liar? You've never done that. You thank your mirror. You love your mirrors. When you leave the upstairs, you go downstairs, you look before you leave. Then you get in the car and you look. And you're driving, you look, and then before you get out, you look. You love your mirrors. Because you know why? Your mirrors tell you the truth. That's God. He tells you the truth about you. He loves you, but he doesn't like you the way you are. So he says, I can fix you if you agree with me. I won't force you. He wants to marry you. It's a marriage invitation. I've done many weddings in 43 years. I've never seen one lady dragged up. All of them have walked up on their own. God will not force you to marry him. And by the way, not one person here can wear a white gown. But he gives it to you when he forgives you. It's his righteousness that allows you to wear the white gown, not your own. Your righteousness is his filthy rags. That word there is a menstrual garment in Isaiah 64, 6. Wow. Do you agree with that? We say, oh, maybe others, not me. No, you too. You too. Now, if I agree with God with that, then there's hope for me. If I reject that truth, then there's no hope for me at all. And so I don't know where you are tonight. You are included in this whosoever. If you believe in him, Jesus Christ, that he died in your place and rose from the dead and paid the price for your sin, then you can call upon him and be saved and experience the new birth that Jesus Christ was telling Nicodemus all about. It has nothing to do with your brains. It has everything to do with your heart, who you really are. If you have a hard heart, It'll only get harder. The same sun that melts the clay hardens. Or melts the wax hardens the clay. Nothing wrong with the sun. Same sun. The difference the different material. Clay and wax. If your heart is clay, it'll get hard. If it's wax, it'll get softer. God can work with a soft heart. Because you're trusting God, not yourself. And so God offers you tonight salvation through Jesus Christ. It makes no difference what has happened in your life. It makes no difference what what you've committed. If you see yourself as a sinner before God, he offers you forgiveness of every one of your sins and to make you whiter than snow and to make you a child of God. By grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved. Faith is that you believe what God has said about his son had nothing to do with your feelings, your emotions, that you believe the objective truth of God, that He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die in your place so that you would not perish. And if you believe that, He will give to you eternal life. Wow. No one can glory. We all come on the same basis, on our faces, before a holy God. You want to be born again tonight. This is your prayer to him right now, right where you sit. I'm not going to ask you to get up, come forward. It doesn't make any difference. You can come forward, and if you're not real, you walk out lost. If you're really repentant, you say a prayer where you are, you walk out saved. doesn't matter what I know. It's what God knows and you know. So if you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and my Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.